What's going on? It's good to be in the house. I'm glad God is moving in here. Anybody glad that God is here? Did anybody come here to hear from God? Because if you came to hear from me, look, I need you to have higher goals, higher standards. But if you came here to hear from Jesus, I believe that you came to the right place. If you're watching us online, welcome. We are excited that you are here. Man, I'm just excited about what God is doing right now uh, in this season, in this time. Sometimes we say the word season and we throw it around a lot, but this is a season. This is a time. God moves in seasons. He moves in series and seasons of times. And it's important to know the time that you're in. It's important to know the season that you're in. And a lot of times, the enemy is just trying to distract us from seeing what God is doing in the season we are in. But I believe that God wants you to know the season that you're in. I'm going to be real. I don't even know why I'm saying that. I just feel like somebody's supposed to hear that tonight. Like you're supposed to know the season that you're in. That's not the message. But somebody needs to know the season that you are in. And if you have been paying any attention to kind of what's going around the nation in the young adult space, there is a lot of movement. There's a lot of momentum. If you heard about what's going on, what was going on at Asbury, um, it's a college where a, where a move of God was taking place over the last few weeks, and it's been spreading to different college campuses, and it's been causing a lot of conversation about revival and awakening. And um, if you're not familiar with those terms, you will become familiar with those terms because we have a special guest coming in next week who's going to be talking all about that. It's not what we're talking about this week, but I want you guys to know the season that you're in, that God is moving and that it's important for us to be in step with what he's doing. However, I do believe that there are distractions coming our way. And so what I talked about last week is the fact that there is a war for our focus, a war for our focus. Um, I do believe that you and I, we do have an enemy. I think that we have an advocate in Jesus, but I also believe that we have an enemy. And a lot of times his attacks look a little different than than what we would anticipate. And many times the attacks are just to distract and to just get us slightly off course. And if he could get us focused on what we're not supposed to be focused on, it may not be that you're focused on something diabolical, But if you're not focused on what you're supposed to be focused on, then that's where you're not able to see what God is doing or experience the fullness of what God is doing. And so we've been in this series uh, called Imitation. It's a series on relationships. And I'll tell you, every time that we do a series on relationships, I feel like it's so necessary to give you guys practical wisdom. Anybody want practical wisdom, things that you can actually put into practice, things that you can implement in your relationship life right now? Well, though it is my desire to always largely focus in that direction, I feel like every time we do a relationship series, I want to go practical, 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 because those are so many of the questions that I have coming in. And yet, it's not that I'm not going practical, but I feel like God is always leading me to not 
focus on the practical, but to focus on perspective. And that if you can get the right perspective, then the practical elements will come to you as you're looking through the right lens, as you're looking through the right perspective. But so many times we don't know the practical things to do because we don't have the right perspective. And so we're looking at life through a particular lens and then we're trying to get practical advice that comes from another perspective. And so if we look at the world one way and God looks at the world another way, then the practical wisdom that God gives us is based on the way he sees things. And if we don't see things that way, then his ways, his practices, his suggestions, his commands won't really make sense to us. And so then we'll just be trying to apply things that we don't understand. But I do believe that God wants you and I to understand. And so uh, tonight we are diving into a bit of perspective in the area of relationships. And I don't know about you, uh, but I've had a lot of questions in this area. I think over the course of time, over the course of my adulthood, I've run into a lot of questions when it comes into the area of relationships. And I feel like you guys probably have a lot of questions. Have you found yourself having questions in the area of relationships? Yes, maybe. You have all the answers? Okay, then you should probably have questions if you don't have all the answers. And so uh, the first place that I want to look tonight, I want to dive into the scriptures. I'm going to pray first. I want to dive into the scriptures and look at some questions that Jesus is being asked in this place uh, in the area of relationships. But I want to pray for us first because, man, I just really sense that God wants to do something special uh, in our hearts tonight. I believe that he wants to do something special in this time And I just want him to have his way. And so if you will join me in inviting God. Father, I thank you that you are here. Lord, that you are wanting to speak. Lord, we just want you to move. Lord, I don't want this to just be another Tuesday night where we hear some interesting information, some interesting thoughts that we may apply someday or we might not. Something to think about. Uh, and then move on. Lord, I I pray that these words that we are looking at tonight, God, I pray that they would penetrate. Lord, I pray that they would find good ground in our hearts, Lord, that, that your word would function in the way that you desire, that it would function like a seed that gets planted in us and grows and bears fruit. That is your desire. And the seed doesn't change. It's just the ground that has different conditions. And so, Father, I pray that you would find good ground and fresh conditions in our hearts so that we would be able to receive what you want to say tonight and so that we'd be able to receive what you want to do tonight. I come against every distraction in the name of Jesus. Lord, and I pray that you would lift our spirits, lift our eyes to see you to focus on you and to hear you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So in Matthew chapter 19, verses three through eight, we see the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day, experts in the scriptures. 
Um, they were the church leaders of the day, and they're coming to Jesus to test him because they did not really respect Jesus. Jesus did not go about things in the way that they traditionally did. He didn't come up through their ranks. He was not affirmed by them and licensed by them. He was not educated by them. And so for him to go around teaching in the way that he did without coming up through the standard way of doing things was a problem for them because these were the people who knew the scriptures in and out. And so there was no way that somebody could be doing things different from them and be right in their minds. And so a lot of the conversations that you see between the Pharisees and Jesus is conflict because they don't like him and they are trying to get him to slip up, trying to get him to say something wrong so they can discredit him. And so that's why they're always asking, asking him these questions, not out of genuine curiosity, but out of trying to get him to slip up. And so they ask him a question about relationships that I think is interesting to pay attention to. And it's interesting, it's important that we pay attention to how he responds to it. So it says in verse three, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Tonight's message is not about divorce. <laughs> However, it's about the discourse that's taking place here and the focus is here because the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they ask him, is it lawful? And what they're asking is, according to the law of Moses, are we allowed to do this or not? Can a man just divorce his wife for any and every reason according to the law of Moses? But Jesus responds to them, not by quoting the law of Moses, not by referring to the law of Moses. Instead, he says, haven't you read that at the beginning, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And it's interesting that he would respond in that way because he could have, he could have argued interpretation of Deuteronomy and Leviticus with them, right? He could have argued interpretation of all the law and he could have gone down this rabbit hole of debating scriptures with them. But instead, he redirects their attention not to what is lawful, but what God desires. I don't know if you caught that. 
But they ask, are we allowed to? And he says, don't you know what God wants? Which predates Moses. And so your focus is in the wrong place because you're wanting to ask, man, is this within the boundaries, right? Am I allowed to do this? And he's saying, you're asking the wrong question. Don't you know what God has intended? And that's a different question. What kind of questions are you asking God right now? Because I've found that many of us find ourselves kind of in this situation of, man, what will God allow me to do? Am I allowed to do this? Is it okay for me to do this? And especially in this area of relationships, men, is it okay to do it this way? Is it okay to do it this way? What am I allowed to? Like, how far can I go? Is it that serious? And Jesus responds to them saying, well, why are you asking about what you're allowed to do? Don't you care what God wants you to do? Because those are two different things. If you come to me and ask me, what you're allowed to do, well, then we can look at all the rules, we can look at the policies. But if you ask me what I want you to do, that's a more personal question. If my son were to come to me and ask me, what am I allowed to do in this house? Well, you're allowed to do a lot of things. And there are certain things you're not allowed to do. But if he asked me, well, what do you want me to do? Well, that's different. And Jesus is always pointing us away from religion alone. And that's where the Pharisees were. They had religion alone, which was the law. And so they were so focused on the boundary lines, the customs, the traditions, the practical that they were missing the personal and they were missing perspective because Jesus is telling them that God doesn't view it the way that you view it. And you have to know his intent behind something in order to understand his desire. And so many of us will be confused about the will of God. Man, what is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, many times his will is found in his intent and his intent is found in where he initiated it. And so in this area of relationships, Jesus is saying, look at the initiation of relationships. Look at God's intent behind relationships and then answer your own question, which is not the right question. Your question is about what's lawful and it's not important. That's not what's most important. What's most important is what God desires. That's the beauty behind Genesis. I don't know if you grasp the weight of this, but Jesus is in the first century BC quoting Genesis. And there have been a lot of debates 
around Genesis, around the validity of Genesis, around especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis, right? There's a lot of discussion going on right now and a lot of good discussion. There's a lot of discussion around what kind of literature we're reading. I've actually been seeing it pop up all these different places, but I think it's important that Jesus is quoting from Genesis chapter two. So Jesus apparently viewed Genesis as valid. And not only, not only, he doesn't say, haven't you read at the beginning where Moses said, who we believe is the author of Genesis, he said, God said. He said this uh, in verse five. It says, haven't you read? He replied, at the beginning, the creator made, made the male and female and said, saying, and God said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Why is this important? Because Jesus is God in human flesh being asked a question about relationships and he puts all the weight on what is written in Genesis. And how often are you thinking about what's written in Genesis when you have questions about relationships? How often does that come to your mind? Well, let me consult Genesis. When it comes to this question of boundaries or when it comes to how I should date, when it comes to how I should choose a spouse, when it comes to whether I should get married, how I should get married, when I should get married. Let me read Genesis. Not many of us take that approach. And I think that that has a lot to do with why there's so much confusion in our lives in the area of relationship, because if we don't understand the purpose of relationships, if we don't understand God's intent behind relationships, then we won't understand what to do with them. And Jesus is saying something very, very powerful. He, he points them to Genesis and says, the creator made them, saying there is somebody who has fashioned this, formed this, put this together that you can consult. We are not a random experiment. This is why the, if the worldview, just the purely evolutionary worldview is purposeless. It leaves you with nothing to live for. If all of this just came out of nowhere with no intent, then there's no reason to do anything. And there's no reason behind anything we do. And so if we just exploded into existence with no intent behind our existence, and we just showed up here because we used to be a monkey, then when we're trying to navigate relationships, we have no guidelines and there is no right and wrong. There is no right way to go about it. There's no wrong way to go about it. It's, there's just life. And Jesus is saying that's not how it is, that there is a big C creator, God himself, and he created male and female and had intent behind his creation. So he says it was not that way from the beginning. So what was the way from the beginning is the question that that leaves us with. 
And I believe it's an important path to go down as we're trying to discover what the future holds. We have the gift of seeing the past in scripture. We have the gift of seeing the beginning in scripture to even point us toward where God wants us to go. So how was it in the beginning? Genesis chapter one, 27 through 28 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I see something troublesome here. That for most of us, this feels like just some ancient story that has no relevance to us. That, okay, God created Adam and Eve, he created male, female, he created them in the image of God. Okay, yeah, he told them to rule over the fish and over the birds and all that stuff. Like, that was cool. All right, I'm going to work. (laughs) Got stuff to do. About to go work on this. About to go do this. And most of us aren't looking at our lives through the lens of what God originally intended. And it, it may just be because we may think that that's no longer the intent. But Jesus, when getting asked a contemporary question, points back to the beginning. And so for you and I, with our contemporary questions, it still matters that we point back to the beginning. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all the other things in Genesis 1 and then says God created mankind in his own image. When this was written, this was a revolutionary statement because until this was written, who could say where we came from? Who could say what the intent was behind our lives? There were all types of myths and stories and origin stories and all this stuff floating around, but then Genesis shows up with weight behind it. 50 chapters of dense human history starting all the way at the beginning of time. A gift from God to mankind to tell mankind, this is where you've come from. You don't have to just wander through life aimlessly. You don't have to just wander and wonder. Why am I here? What am I doing? What am I supposed to do? Why do I have these feelings? It says that God created mankind in his own image, like little statues of God. A lot of the, the, the verbiage being used here was it, was, it was illustrating to people at the time a concept they were fam- very familiar with. Um, many cultures had tabernacles, they had temples to their gods. And so Genesis is painting this picture of God creating like a cosmic temple where where heaven and earth collide. 
And it says that God created the heavens and the earth, the sky, the waters, the land, the vegetation, the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, all these things. He's building these things one step at a time, constructing this cosmic temple. And then on the seventh day, he rests there. He dwells there in this temple. And then it hones in on this really important piece that says, then God created mankind in his selim or image or like that was the same word that would be used for a statue or an idol. And God is saying, you may have seen false gods, you may have seen false temples to dead gods and dead idols, but let me tell you, this entire thing that you're walking around is my temple that I created. It's, it's so large that you can't even explore the whole thing. This universe is so vast that you can never even see the end of it, and yet I dwell here, and you've been placed here as a representation of me, as a reflection of my glory in my temple. A gift to us to know why we were created and who we were created by, that mankind was created in the image of God. And then not only was mankind created in the image of God, but they were also commissioned to do something. They were given the mission of God Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God created male and female and he created them in his image and he created them with a mission. So now we're making some headway. We're figuring out, okay, there's some intent here. There's some movement here. We're supposed to be going somewhere, doing something. We, weren't just, we didn't just randomly show up here, but we were fashioned in this way for a particular reason. And then we move over to chapter two and we see him hone in. It's like he gives like the big picture of this entire cosmic creation. And then he hones in in chapter two on the human experience. And we start, we get zoned into Adam and Eve's story. So it says in chapter two, verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Oh, he put him there for a reason. He took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. There was purpose. There was mission. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. How many of you guys have heard that passage of scripture before? A lot of us. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Who said it's not good for the man to be alone? Did Adam say it wasn't good for him to be alone? Did Adam say I'm lonely? So what spurred the creation of woman. Adam's by himself. Adam's given a mission. Adam's working the mission. And then God says, it's not good 
for the man to be alone. And when we read that through our lens, we inevitably impose a lot of our ideas on it. That we're like, oh my gosh, he must have been so lonely there by himself with no companionship, no partnership. Well, God was there. So he wasn't totally lacking companionship because God was there. He had no concept of companionship with another human being. And I'm not saying he didn't feel alone, but God doesn't say he felt alone. That's not a part of the story that we're told. So we have to pay attention to the things God tells us because those are the things he wants us to know. That it wasn't Adam who felt alone, who felt lonely. It was God who saw he was alone carrying out this mission, doing this work. And so God doesn't say, it's not good for the man to be lonely. I will make a companion suitable for him. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, again, you have to see how revolutionary this concept is, even in our society, But I think to any human society, because all we know is this natural romantic attraction that we have. Most of us don't walk around with a desire to work with people. I didn't look at Gabrielle and say, I want to work with her. The attraction was leading me a different direction. And so is yours. But your attraction doesn't define God's intent. God's given you attraction. He's given you intent. And they're supposed to operate in a particular order. So God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. He sees a need that Adam has to have a partner to help him do the mission that God has given him. Then if we go down to verse 19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. He's working, 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 and there's still nobody to help him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, 
and they felt no shame. So, God gives us this gift of Genesis to be able to see his intent behind all the stuff that we're doing. I think it's so interesting that the story is summed up with that is why. Because you're doing stuff you don't even know why you're doing. This is essentially what Genesis is saying to us. It's saying that's why a a man leaves his father and mother because you're already doing that. You're already having this romantic attraction. People were already being given in marriage. And now this is explaining why, what the intent was behind it. Because God wants us to know his intent so we can get in alignment with his will. Because his blessing rests on his will. God's blessing rests on his will. When we are not in God's will, we don't have God's blessing. But we see here that God created them and then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Carry out this mission that I've given you of reflecting my nature and my glory to the creation God created an earth that needed to be worked, that needed to be ruled over, and he didn't intend to do it himself. God wasn't going to get out here and start farming. He wasn't. He said, I've made this beautiful garden, and ain't no way I'm about to work it. I need to make somebody to work it so that they can be a carrier of my presence, an ambassador on my behalf, a reflection of my glory so that they can display my nature in nature. They can display who I am to the creation and all of creation can look at humans and see God. But God did not just create the man in his image. He created mankind in his image, male and female. And he designed them to work together in a particular way. And when he commissions them to increase in number, that implies some very crucial things. How might they increase in number? I know. Do you know? (laughs) God created this to operate a certain way. He created male and female with a mission and a way to accomplish that mission. That male and female would come together in the way that God desired. God could could have designed procreation to operate in any way he wanted to. He could have made it so that Men get pregnant just by thinking about it. Women get pregnant just by thinking about it, and they just procreate. But he didn't. He didn't. He tied a bunch of stuff together. He tied romantic attraction 
desire for companionship, need for help with mission and purpose, altogether intimacy, sexual intimacy, all in, all in this together, all to accomplish the mission. And he made it so that you cannot separate sexual intimacy from procreation. Though we've tried in many ways, we are trying day in and day out, year after year, decade by decade, technology after technology, to separate sexual intimacy from procreation. But God did not have it that way from the beginning. He designed the two to work together. And we often go about it a different way and wonder why we get messed up results. And we can see sociology and every science that studies humanity say that the family is the bedrock of human civilization. That for societies to thrive, for civilizations to thrive, it's so necessary for solid families to be established. And so even our sciences and research can point to God's way from the beginning making sense. In order to carry out this mission of filling the earth and subduing it and having a healthy civilization and humans living together in a way in which they thrive, male and female have to come together. They have to procreate. They have to be able to live in harmony with one another and raise their children And now we fast forward to 2023 and we see culture live so differently. We see most of the world live so differently. Yet we've been talking about this that, again, if we just look at statistics, not just opinions, because we could talk opinions and people talk opinions all day, but even if we just look at statistics of how things are working out, You can't even argue with the fact that God's way is the healthiest way for human beings to coexist. And so why are we talking about this, Vance? This is really deep for a relationship series. Like I thought it was gonna be like, how do I ask a girl out on a date? I feel you. But you gotta know why you even want that girl and where you wanna go and what you wanna do before you just go asking people out on dates. Because if we don't get this, then we make messes of our relational lives. It's true. And so we want the one, two, threes, the practicals, we, we want all those things, but if we're, if we're missing the bedrock, if we're missing the foundation, then everything we build on top of that is waiting to crumble because we're building with wrong expectations. God created relationships to operate a particular way. And so we could talk all day about sex, right? 
We could talk all day about, oh, are you going to wait till you're married? What are the boundaries? What are, well, what was the intent behind sex? Can we start there? Because most of us are not starting there. Most of us are just wanting to start putting band-aids on our ideas and thinking that God's just going to bless that because we put a band-aid on our idea. But God wants to heal our perspective. And the only way to heal is to restore us to default, restore us to his original intent. That's how he wants to operate in your life. He doesn't just want to come and give you a few rules to abide by. He wants to change the way that you think. Because the way that you think on your own is wrong. The way most of society thinks is wrong. And I say this very confidently because most of society is getting very poor results and will fight and argue to be able to do things that are not making them healthier and fight and argue for everyone to affirm ways of going about our relationships that are not making us healthier. And so the best solution I see is to go to the big C creator who created them, male and female, and created them with a purpose and, and spoke over them and blessed them and gave them a mission. And if we can get back to that, maybe we can get back on track. So what questions have you been asking? And have you been asking the right questions when it comes to your relationship life? The first question that we have to ask is why? 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 Why am I in a relationship? Why do I want a relationship? Why? God did not create human beings to get in relationship to feel something. I'm still, I'm still going. I'm still going. God did not create human beings to get in relationship just to feel something. He created them to get in relationship to do something. But almost all of us navigate relationships strictly based on what we feel. God gave us feelings. God designed our emotions. God designed our feelings, but they are supposed to fall into the context of everything else that he created and designed. So if he said, it's not good for the man to be lonely, I'm gonna make him a companion, the two will come together, become one flesh, and make each other happy the rest of their lives, and then he spoke over them, go, make each other happy the rest of your lives, and forget about me, just go make each other happy and live out your truth. If, if he said that, then we could go about things that way. But he didn't. He created them and gave them specific instructions to be fruitful and to multiply, to increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it. He gave them a mission. He created them to do something. And so what they feel 
is only an added benefit to their partnership. But they are together to do something. And when you grasp this concept, it will make you so much better at navigating relationships in every single phase. If you are single, do you want to be in a relationship or do you not? Because you don't have to be. That's the beauty. Jesus even clarifies that there are some people who are called to be single and are content in that space and have a lot more freedom to live out their purpose because they are not concerned with or consumed with pleasing another person, but they can devote themselves to pleasing God. Maybe that's you. Focus on Jesus. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you are consumed with the idea of being with another person. If so, there's nothing wrong with that. Why? Why? Why do you want to be in a relationship? And as you start asking yourself those questions, and as you start comparing it with Scripture, with God's will, with his intent, that's where you'll start getting on track and in alignment with God's will. Because if you only want to be in a relationship to feel something, then you're already starting on the wrong foundation. Now, it's not that we don't all want to feel something. So I'm not negating your desire to feel something. We all want to feel something. But God's desire is for your desire to feel something to go under your desire to do something. Because what you feel will come and go. What you feel will come and go. There are some days, inevitably, if you're single and you want to be in a relationship, there are some days where you feel it more than others. There are some days where you're like, I'm good. And there are some days where you're like, I'm not good. (laughs) Because what you feel comes and goes. God's mission for your life will not come and go. God's purpose for your life will not fluctuate. It is steady. It is sure. He knows where he's calling you to, where he's sending you to, that he wants to be with you, all the places that you're going. He knows the purpose for your life. Do you? Because if you don't and you're wanting a relationship, you're starting on the wrong foundation. Because how can you choose a partner for your work if you don't know what you're doing? God says, man, I've given this man the place of his work, the assignment for him to do, and it's not good for him to be alone doing it. I'm gonna make a helper suitable for him. Most of us are not looking for a helper suitable for us to do the work we're called to do. Most of us look for a companion suitable for us to feel what we want to feel. And that's not the biblical standard of human relationship. Romance is not a problem by any means. It was designed by God. 
There's a whole book in the Bible called Song of Songs that shows you that romance is indeed a part of God's gift to us. That was inspired, breathed out scripture as well. But it can't start in Song of Songs. Your relationship life can't just revolve around that. It has to start in Genesis where God created male and female. If you just jump in on Song of Songs, you will think that male and female are just here to run around and chase each other and want to be in love. Oh, that's what our world is doing. Oh, the divorce rate is continuing to increase. Oh, less and less people even want to be married. The family unit, we see it collapsing. Oh, but, but science is also telling us that the family unit is necessary for a strong civilization. Oh, wow, we're not headed in a good direction when we do things that way. No matter how much entertainment tells us how we should navigate relationships, no matter how many voices are telling us to go about things just based on how, however we feel, it's not true. God's word is true. This is why Jesus, talking to experts in the scriptures, even has to tell them, you're missing God's intent and you're missing what's most important. You have to go back to the beginning. Haven't you read that at the beginning, God created it this way and still wants it this way for human beings to be living out their purpose? God wants you to be living out the purpose he created you to do more than he wants you to have companionship. And I know that that is a difficult pill to swallow, but it's not that God doesn't want you to have companionship, but if you focus your life on companionship and miss the commissioning of God, you will waste your life and be unfulfilled because companionship alone cannot fulfill you. If companionship alone would have fulfilled Adam, then that's what God would have given him to begin with. But he didn't. He gave him a mission. And then he gave him a partner to help him in the mission. And I hope that you're not hearing me wrong either when I say the word helper, because it truly does mean partner. It is not talking about someone who is subordinate or less than is talking about equal to and complementary to. And so God created a man and then he created a woman that was able to do all the things that the man could not do. And the two were created in the image of God. Well, which image of God is less than the other? They're both the image of God created to co-rule together. This is what the text says. God blessed them and told them, go be fruitful and multiply, and told them to rule over all of these things. And now you see why the devil is trying to undo that mindset in every way and have us all confused about the purpose of relationships. And if we fall into the deception that relationships are just about what we feel, or we will miss the power of relationships. What keeps us going in our marriage is not what we feel. It's what we're called to do. And I'll tell you, 
what we're called to do, man, it affects how we feel. I, it does something in me to see my wife working alongside me, to see her out here ministering to people and doing what God has called her to do. Man, it does something inside me in how I feel. Some of us will miss that in our relationships because we don't even consider what we're doing. We only consider how we're feeling. And then relationships are falling apart because we're not doing anything. But human beings were created to be in relationship to do something, not just to talk all day, not just to cuddle all day. But this is why the distractions are here, to get you to focus on everything else. And so now the, the, the overarching narrative that is sweeping through, especially our society, that I think is completely demonic, is that your relationships are defined by sex. And your relationships should be driven by your sex drive. But it doesn't say that he created them male and female to just have sex all day. And to just be content in that. It's not what he says. He commissioned them to do something and commissioned them to do it together. And sex was a part of them fulfilling their mission. And now what has happened is we have detached sex from all mission and all purpose. And it's become a sport. I'm going to just say it how it is. Nobody's giving it a purpose except for pleasure. And that's not what what the text says. Y'all still with me? It's not what the text says. It's not what God says. And so when we get these things out of order, it's why we go about life wrong. Because Pleasure was an added benefit to God's mission. It wasn't the mission. But we're throwing out purpose and pursuing pleasure and wondering why we're coming up empty and wondering why we feel purposeless and wondering why purpose feels so elusive. Purpose comes first. So in your relationship life, purpose has to come first. Why would you be in a relationship unless it is for a purpose? And unless it is for you to come together with another person who can help you fulfill this commissioning from God. And if you're wondering if this commissioning is still relevant, well, we see Jesus say in John 15, before he goes to the cross, before he resurrects, he's telling his disciples, look, this is how life needs to be when I ascend. He says, remain in me and you will bear much fruit. The commission to be fruitful is still very much in effect. God still wants us to be fruitful. He's adding context through it, to it through Jesus. And he still wants to bless relationships that 
are pursuing the purposes of God. And can I tell you there's a safety in that? You don't have to be lost in your love life. You don't have to be lost in your relationship life. But you will be lost in your relationship life if you don't pursue it this way. Because if you think that your relationship is going to be sustained just based on how you make the other person feel and how they make you feel, then you're going to fall into the same trap that so many people fall into that end up depressed in their marriage, that end up wanting to end their marriage or ending their marriage because it didn't bring them what they were looking for. But if they had just looked at the text that told them what to look for, then they might be able to make the decisions that lead them into that direction and they'd be able to find the purpose and the fulfillment that they're looking for. God has created relationships to do something. Was it only Adam and Eve? No, because we can look at Genesis 12. And there's a big gap between Genesis 2 and Genesis 12. In Genesis Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they make a decision to break their allegiance to God and align themselves with the serpent that says, man, God gave you this rule, but you could just break it. God just doesn't have the best intentions for you. So go down this route. And they break their allegiance and their loyalty to God and they align themselves with the serpent. And now they have abandoned their post. They have abandoned their vocation. They have abandoned their job. They've abandoned their mission. Look at how seductive that was that they didn't know that that's what the enemy was trying to get them to do, was, hey, look over here, look over here, look over here. Don't you want this? Doesn't this look appealing? Don't you want this? God doesn't want you to have this because he knows how good it is. Doesn't want you to have this. Look how bad God is because he doesn't want you to have this. Look how bad God is because he doesn't want you to have this. Look at this, look at this. Isn't this appealing? And they focus their attention on it. That's why there's a war for your focus. They focus their attention on it And then it starts looking really, really appealing. Then it starts looking really, really desirable. And then they start wondering, like, how could God not want me to have this? Like, why would God want to put boundaries around this? Why would God not want me to have this? Yeah, he he told me I could have all this, but I don't want that right now. I want this right here. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know I could eat of every single tree in the garden. I know I have rulership and dominion over the entire earth. And I haven't even seen anything past this garden yet, but I, but I want, I want this, this fruit from this tree that God told me I can't have, because why would God tell me that unless he's wrong? And yeah, God told me that I would certainly die if I have that. God, God put one stipulation on our relationship that actually gave me an opportunity to be in allegiance with him. Because if I had no opportunity to abandon him, then there's no, really, there's no real allegiance. If I had no opportunity to disrespect him, to step away from him, to disconnect from him, if I had no opportunity to break my allegiance, then what good is my allegiance? How valuable is my allegiance? But if I have an opportunity to look at, at an an opportunity to look at to say, I could break my allegiance to God, but he's, he's worth more. If I have that, if I'm walking through this garden, if I'm walking through this garden and I walk past that tree every time and say no, 
oh man, that gives glory to God. I'm going to carry out my mission. I'm going to carry out my purpose. I'm going to put my hands to the things that God told me to put my hands to because my mission is so much more important than this one thing that God told me he doesn't want me to do. And my allegiance to him is worth so much more than this temptation. And I can go to him. I can just ask him, hey, God, what do you think about this serpent trying to tell me to eat this fruit? And I could consult with him, the one who created me, the one who made me, the one who's gifted me with everything here. And maybe he could have some wisdom for me on why I should stay away from this temptation and why he is worth following. And that's just Genesis 3, where we see them make the wrong decision and get cursed. And then they have... They start a family that's very dysfunctional. And in Genesis 4, we see Cain and Abel. And most of us know what happened in that story. Cain kills Abel. Wow, first murder that takes place in Scripture happens as soon as sin enters the picture and humans break their allegiance to God. Oh, does it help them? Does it help them to not do? Does it help them to not do God's commands? Does it help them to break their allegiance to God? No. They have kids that kill each other. So then, after that, the world gets so bad in Genesis 6 through 9 that God decides to flood the whole place and preserve one family, Noah and his family. And he's like, I'm going to start over with you guys. A family with a purpose. And that goes great. It doesn't. (laughs) Next chapter over, chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Humanity is now trying to usurp God. God comes down, confuses their language. Humans are at it again. So what does God do In the next chapter, Genesis chapter 12, we see something that that feels random, but it's called the call of Abram. And the Lord goes to a man named Abraham. In verse one, it says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So humanity is off track once again. And what does God do? He goes to a man and says, I will make you into a great nation. He is implying that he is going to use his relationship to start something powerful. Because Abraham can't start a nation without a wife. 
And Abram's purpose is tied to his relationship. And 20 years later, 25 years later, sorry, 25 years later, we go down to Genesis 21. God has changed their names from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. And he has been encouraging them this whole time, showing up, saying, hey, I'm still going to do it. 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 I know you don't believe it. I know Abram, you're Abraham, you're 100 years old. Sarah, you're 90 years old. I know that this seems way too late for you to be living out the purpose that I've called you to, but I've called your relationship to be so purposeful that it is going to bless every human being on the planet. And in Genesis 21 says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And we're going to close here. This is really a phenomenal story, and, and we can miss a lot of the purpose behind this story if we're not paying attention to what's happening in the story. God, once again, chooses a couple. He starts with a couple in Adam and Eve. Everything gets off track, and he starts again with a couple, saying, I'm going to start this whole project of humanity, being in relationship with me, I'm going to start it again through a couple. We cannot miss the power here and the importance here. And when we read this, we start to get an idea of how God views relationships, how God views marriage. And so many of the questions that you and I have about how to navigate this space is going to come from understanding this right here, that God called these people to do something challenging. He called them to do something difficult. He didn't just call them to a life of romance. And I know that's what you're being sold all the time. And it's not that they didn't have any romance. I mean, Abraham clearly had a wife that he liked. She was so good looking that even when he's 75 years old, he's telling people that this is his sister. Scared that they're gonna take her from him. And he does this again when she's like 90. Do you know how he had to feel about his wife to be like, you still so fine that I just feel like they're going to try to take you from me. I know you're 90. I know you're 90. But I still feel like they're going to try to take you from me. 
So clearly, Abraham had not chosen somebody that he wasn't into. But it wasn't about that. Because if, if, if Abraham had just chosen somebody that he was into and they just lived their life into each other and then died, we would not know their names. We wouldn't be talking about them. There would be no purpose to their relationship. But, but in fact, there was a ton of purpose to their relationship. They had to go most of their marriage with the challenge of Sarah being barren. But if, but if Sarah was able to have children like everybody else was just easily, then Abraham would have no opportunity to be the father of faith. Abraham became the father of faith, believing that God would do what he said he would do in the face of impossible circumstances, that his body was as good as dead. This is what the scriptures say. And Sarah's was as well. Her womb was dead, that they were old. She was barren. And yet he believed God when God told him that he would bless the nations through him and that he would give him a son. He, he went off track and he had a child with his slave and he, and he asked God, God, can you just make him the child of the promise? And God said, no. I'll bless him. I will bless him, but I will not work my originally intended purpose through him. I'm going to work my originally intended purpose through my originally intended person. And so it doesn't matter how far you've gone from God's will. God still has his purpose in mind for you. So I just want us to stand to our feet. And I don't know where you've been in terms of the area of relationships. I don't know how you've been navigating this on a personal level, but I do believe that each and every one of us could probably benefit from inviting God to help us in this space, to help us view life from his perspective and I believe that for most of us, most people in their young adult years, uh, this, is, this is the area that will either bless us the most or take us the furthest from God. There's so much weight on this area. Most of the time that, that I meet, especially a young adult who's walked away from God, there's a relationship involved. Most of the time, that's what comes down to it. Most of the time, when somebody's been coming to church, they're, they're faithful, they're coming consistently, they're coming to small group, and you just don't see them anymore. They just disappeared. Most of the time, there is a person that they disappeared with. It's just the reality. But I believe that God wants this area of our lives to propel us towards him, towards purpose, not to pull us away from him. But I want the band to come out right now and, and I want us to take some time to really submit this area to God because inevitably we, are, we, are, we experience a tension at some point. Whether you are single right now and you're trying to stay focused, you're trying to believe God for what you believe he has for you, whether you're in a relationship, uh, whether you're engaged, whether you're married, 
whether you're divorced, wherever you are in your relationship life, we need God to bring us back to the beginning where he's there with us, where we sense his purpose, where we sense his mission, where our eyes are focused on him. That is the place that he wants you. Eyes on God, trusting God, following Jesus. And so I wanna pray for us. If you'll close your eyes. Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. You cleanse us, you sanctify us with your word. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters, wherever they are in their relationship life, God, I pray that you would bring them to your feet. God, I pray that you would bring them to the garden that you've always desired for us to dwell in, where the presence of God walks with us in the cool of the day, where, where there's no confusion about our calling, where there's clarity behind our mission, where there's purpose behind our work. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to that space where relationship with you is prioritized, where you are, you are the focus, you are the glory of your temple, where you are the light of your creation. And God, I pray that as you bring us to that place, that our perspective on partnership would come into its proper place. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to understand things that we couldn't understand in our natural minds. Lord, you said that it's the spirit that gives life and the flesh is no help at all. And you said to those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we are no longer slaves to our flesh. We are no longer of the flesh, but we are of the spirit. We are born of the spirit and we are to be led by the spirit. And it is the spirit that still gives life. And, and even though our bodies have cravings, you said in Romans 8, 11, that it is the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can give life to our bodies. Meaning it, the same spirit that could raise a human being from being dead can absolutely raise a body from sin to righteousness. But it is only the spirit of God that does that. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in us. If you want that to be you, if you want the spirit of God to work in your life, I just invite you to lift your hands right now. Father, we invite your spirit to work in our lives. To not try to figure out life 
just by our natural minds, to not figure out life just by our flesh. Lord, we invite your spirit to move. We've had enough of trying to do life our way. We've had enough of trying to reason our way through everything and trying to lean on our own preferences and our own desires. God, we come to your feet. And we ask you to give us perspective. And so Lord, I thank you for everything that you are wanting to do in the hearts and in the minds and in the lives of each and every person listening. I thank you that it's only done by your spirit. God, and I pray that this would be a lasting work that you do in us. Lord, I pray that this would not be a momentary revelation, a moment of understanding, but Lord, I pray that this would spark a revolution in our lives, spark a revolution in the way that we think and in the way that we act, in the way that we go about life. I pray that you would spark a revolution in the relationships in this place, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we are not bound to the statistics of society. Lord, that we are not bound to what's happening around us, but Lord, we are free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we are free to experience life and life more abundantly. We are free to experience healthy relationships, God. That even those of us who have not seen a healthy marriage, God, that you are faithful and able to walk us through and keep us in alignment with your will, that you are able to lead us to a place of health. And you've given us an example to imitate. And so Lord, I pray that our relationships would be imitations of what you've desired at the beginning. Lord, I pray that our relationships would be imitations of what you desire. And I know that that only happens when you really truly get a hold of us. So Lord, I just invite you to have your way and to do your work. Before we go into worship, I don't, I don't want to miss this moment. If you came in here and you did not know Jesus and you want to start a relationship with him, I don't want to glance past that. I want to give you a moment to make a firm decision right now. If that's you, if you're saying, hey, I, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to know him. I just want you to lift your hand so I can pray with you before we move forward at all. Just seeing if there's any more. Lord, I thank you for the hands that are up. If your hand is up right now, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. If you're watching online, if you're in here, say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you really did create all things, that you really did create me, that you know me personally, and you want a relationship with me. I believe that your will is perfect. Lord, and I believe that you lived a perfect life and died the death that I should have died to pay the price for my sins. I believe that you resurrected from the dead. I believe that you walked out the grave. I believe that you ascended into heaven. You are seated at the right hand of the Father and you have the authority 
to forgive me of my sins, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and to make me new. I repent and turn from my old way of doing life. I invite you to change my mind, to change the way that I think, to change the way that I behave. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you to have a conversation with one of our prayer leaders afterwards. I still wanted to go into a time of worship, but I wanted to make sure that you were equipped with that. And so here's what I would invite. I would invite many of you guys who feel God stirring in you to just come down front, to lay something at the feet of Jesus, whether it's been your preferences, whether it's been your perspective, whether it's been sin, whatever it is, God is here. He's here. Now's the time. Sometimes we're delaying and we're waiting and God is here and now is the time. And so I'm just praying that that you would respond to the spirit of God working in your heart and know that what he's calling you to is so much greater than what you could ever imagine. And tonight can be a moment that changes everything. And so the band's gonna lead us in worship and I invite you to really go there. Amen.